Hey folks, welcome to this new episode of Healthy and Awake Podcast. I am very excited for you to hear this one today because I have a very cool guest. His name is Jason Kristoff, and I actually reached out to him because I follow his emails and I felt like his messaging is similar to mine in certain ways in that he talks about psychological operations and mind control and propaganda, and he takes a different approach than I do, but nonetheless, he really is very awake, um, and if anything, I was the one during this conversation that uh, was more low-key, and we spent a lot of time talking about coffee in the first half, and because I, I read one of his emails about coffee and the harms of coffee, uh, and then the rest of it was talking about mind control type stuff. And I really hope I get the chance to talk to him again because he really has a whole lot more to offer. We really just barely scratched the surface and he even acknowledged that himself after we finished recording. So I'll tell you a little bit more about Jason. Jason Kristoff, this is his bio on his website, and I have some of his credentials here too. So Jason Kristoff runs an international self-sabotage coaching school where students are educated on the subjects of mind control, brainwashing, behavior modification, and psychological manipulation. Jason's students then use their knowledge in these areas to help reprogram their clients into better versions of themselves on all levels. Jason believes that the social decay we openly see in our world today has only come about because key players in our society are using this manipulative psychology against most of humanity. If we are to survive and thrive in the upcoming years, Jason believes that each citizen must understand these processes as to protect themselves from future psychological operations. That's pretty cool. A lot of the stuff we talk about here, so I was so excited to talk with him. He's also a Czech holistic lifestyle coach, level two. He's also a Czech exercise coach, and he's got a few other. He's got a whole bunch, honestly. And check that that certification is from Paul Czech. So if you're in the health and wellness space, you probably know who he is. That's a great certification to have. Uh, so this guy really knows his stuff. But hey, without further ado, let's get into it. Well, Jason, thanks for meeting with me today. Uh, I, I just told you this, but I'll tell you again. I'll admit that I'm highly caffeinated, which I tell you because I do get your emails. I love your emails, by the way. Out of all the emails that I get, yours definitely provides a lot of value compared to some of the other ones. And I mentioned being caffeinated because you really got my gears turning lately. Coffee is one of those things where the research is mixed, right? You'll see some of the antioxidant properties of coffee. You'll see some of the benefits in terms of performance. Uh, but you know, when you really look closely, there are a lot of good arguments against coffee. And of course, you're a, a self-sabotage coach. So can you help me put this kind of into perspective, your thoughts on coffee? Well, yes, I run a psychological reprogramming institute around self-sabotage. So we're always looking at brain function, 
because our brain functions that are more apt to self-sabotage. Your brain function is never the same. It changes all the time. And it changes when caffeine enters your system. So when you're talking about mind control and propaganda and behavior manipulation, and I mean, I just got back from uh, Belgium uh, in Brussels at the European Parliament, where I was requested to give a very short speech on those subjects. And of course, you're not going to bring up coffee at a very short speech, but when you're trying to rehabilitate a human and get them kind of off the dark path and then onto a path that makes their life easier, eventually you come up to compounds that change the brain function in the way that makes someone more apt to self-sabotage, which means sort of more apt not to think. So what people would want to do, because they're highly addicted to coffee and it's been normalized to the point where they really don't want to hear anything about something that makes them feel so good. They don't want to hear anything negative about it, like not, not whatsoever. So you got to come in slow with people regarding the coffee. And what I would do first is tell people, look, maybe just go to YouTube and you'll find a video and you can look it up and it's still there because they're not hiding these things. You can just punch in ABC, which is the American news station. And then I think it's MRI, which was magnetic resonance imaging, and then caffeine. They don't say coffee because they also know that if they were to put coffee instead of caffeine, it would scare most people away. So go into YouTube and put uh, uh, ABC, MRI, caffeine, and you'll see a news reporter maybe 14, 15 years ago where you could report almost things that you are interested in. And they were wondering about what caffeine does to brain function. So they go to an MRI machine, one of these huge machines you lie down in, it sucks you in, and it throws this huge magnet, um, you know, magnetic fields around your body and then, you know, puts them and knits them together in an image. So this lady goes in with no caffeine and then she comes out of the machine and comes right back up and she has one eight ounce cup of coffee where the usual copies are like double or triple that. And then she, she goes back down, lies back down, gets sucked back into the machine and then asks the neurologist on staff, this MRI expert, you know, what's going on? What's the difference? Is there any difference? between my brain before caffeine and my brain after caffeine. So most people drink caffeine. You can see sort of that as evidence on the face of the neurologist. And he has never done this experiment, even though he has access to the machine all the time. And he says, oh, this is odd because you have a 40% reduction in blood flow and oxygen to your brain after the coffee. And he was eyeballing it, and probably because he was a coffee guy, he's probably eyeballing it down to some, some <laughs> eyeballing the percentage down so he doesn't hurt his own ego too much. And then in Stephen Chernisky's book, which is a book a person would really want to read if they think caffeine is healthy for them. And we'll get to later why you said there's mixed uh, research. In that book, he didn't eyeball it. He went right for the research and it's 52%. So 
So, and this is mostly like the lack of blood flow and oxygen in the brain is in this part of the brain that you don't want uh, inactive in your life. It's the logical and rational part, which is called the prefrontal cortex, which is just behind the forehead. That part of the brain is the CEO of the brain complex, and it's in charge of thinking things through, <laughs> applying logic and rational thought to your decisions, not allowing any illogical or irrational decisions to be brought into action. It allows long-term consequences of your actions to be uh, estimated or assessed before you go through with your decisions. And when you drink caffeine, it's a poison. It's known as an alkaloid poison. The, the coffee plant is not the only plant that produces caffeine. There's I think there's hundreds of other plants that produce this poison. It is a pesticide for the plants that they use to infiltrate their own leaves and their own seeds and their own pods, like the coffee pod is full of caffeine. And the coffee plant will drop its pods around itself to kill competing foliage. Bugs who eat coffee leaves, even the coffee leaves will have caffeine in them, not as much, but the, uh, the bugs will die. So this is your, the human experience with caffeine is revolves around it being a poison and activating the fight or flight system. And the average person would be like, what do you mean? I mean, I understand the fight or flight. If I'm getting mugged in, in a park at night or there's a dog chasing me, I understand the fight or flight reaction in regards to that, but how are you saying, the average person would be like, are you saying there's a fight or flight reaction with the caffeine? And there is because you have one fight or flight reaction and it will be initiated if there's any potential chance of decreasing your lifespan. So of course, when you inject or ingest poison, you will activate the fight or flight. Now, the fight or flight system is a reactive system. It has no ability to think. It goes back in the Rolodex of past situations to get its reactions from. There is no thinking in this part of the brain. There is a quick reaction. And it's designed like this because it takes time to think. There's compassionate assessments in the prefrontal cortex where you think deeply. And if you think if someone's attacking you, I mean, if someone's attacking your kid, if you think out the repercussions, your kid might pass or get injured. So this part of the brain, there's no defect in it. When you're in fight or flight, thinking can mean you're going to die faster. So this, this is really what people have to understand about caffeine. There's a lot of things that they're not aware of. And if with the mixed research that you're talking about is in the book, Caffeine Blues by Stephen Chernisky, he went through every single positive coffee study ever published. And he uses, he, he did preface that, that he was using the word every single one in its literal sense. It was every single one, not that he could find, 
every single one in the world having positive sort of implications on caffeine, improved lifespan, blood sugar, liver function, kidney function. They were all sponsored by what's called the coffee lobby. So caffeine science makes like uh, virology science uh, look legitimate. So this is why there's a coffee shop on every corner. A lot of people don't understand that ruling humans is has a manual and their brain function or changes in brain function are sort of essential in the human farming manual on the planet that the ruling class has they can't rule they've tried but they cannot rule humans who have the majority of their activation in the prefrontal cortex you can't rule deep thinking human beings because they would be logically saying, well, you're no better than me. Why am I going to give you money and do what you say? You have to have the reaction part of the brain activated in order for government to even exist. And I'll give you, uh, you know, sort of an explanation of this. You have, I'm the governing force. <laughs> And I have a revolver and there's two people here. And I say, which one out of you two would like to vote for me? And I can boss them around. You have to do what I say and I'm going to steal half your money. Both would say, you know what? I mean, it's a good idea. It's, I mean, it's an idea we can talk about, but generally, no, I don't think this is fair. So I take the revolver and I shoot one, which activates the fight or flight system of the other one. And then I say, would you like to reconsider your decision? And the person says, absolutely. I think this is a great decision. Take half my money. I'm in the fight or flight res uh, response. I'm going to think short term and I'm going to react based on safety programming. And that's like it runs at about 100,000 miles per hour in your neurology. Rational or logical thought only runs at about 200 miles an hour. So it's very quick response you know, sort of action and reaction. And this is why the, this is why coffee's on every corner. Not because it's healthy for people and not because people really like the taste, but because it changes the brain function and you can, it changes the brain function in a way, Mike, that makes people easier to rule. And this is also why Bill Gates and his father I think the name was uh, Schwartz. He was going to buy Starbucks. Uh, uh, there were six Starbucks stores in 1987, and it was going to go bankrupt. And it was uh, Bill Gates uh, Sr. and Bill Gates Jr. that came in and helped, uh, I think it was Howard Schwartz, buy the six uh, existing Starbucks. And now it has 35,000 stores. And it's combined with air miles and, and the liquor stores in Canada and uh, every TD bank in Canada. So why is there so much coffee uh, sort of importance in our society? And this is why. This is why eventually in the self-sabotage, psychological manipulation field, eventually you will come down to caffeine, changes of brain function reaction-based behavior as opposed to deep thought and rational analysis, 
And caffeine is not in our society by accident. It's there because it is a modality of slave control that the ruling group has used for centuries against the slave class. I suspect with the fluidity that you delivered that, that you might yourself be caffeinated, but I don't know. Um, <laughs> so I agree with pretty much everything you said, and and maybe the hesitations do come from this place of ego or addiction to the coffee. I mean, I'm half Puerto Rican, uh, pretty much half Italian, both are uh, coffee cultures. And um, so it's definitely something that has been in my life. And I guess like the only, I'm not here to disagree with you. Like I said, I mostly agree. The only hesitation, I know there are like high functioning people who might drink coffee. Even if you look at like stand-up comedians, there are high functioning drug mm -hmm. users even. And those, those things certainly for the average person diminish your ability to think critically and, and be productive. Those are kind of the exceptions to the rules. And I do like when I try to look at this from the 40,000 foot view, I don't know if coffee like as a single variable, like if everything else were removed, could have this powerful like mind control type effect. But I do think, you know, if what you're saying is true, like it comes from these these people who are sort of in control about many different elements of our society. I always refer to death by a thousand cuts. So with what you're saying, I kind of see coffee as like a piece of the puzzle here in this. I, I almost hate the word matrix. It's become so such watered down. But, you know, an actual by definition matrix, a, a constructed environment, coffee is certainly a part of that. And people are addicted to it. And there is research showing the harms. There are, even anybody can experience this. There are red flags where what happens if you stop drinking coffee? You get a headache, you feel sick, you crave the coffee. That's not exactly an indication of thriving health. And... It does, like I said earlier, it does help with performance. The, the research is pretty clear that caffeine can help with physical and mental performance in, in certain contexts. But then again, so can anabolic steroids, but that doesn't mean it's healthy, right? So I, I do think that what you're saying is definitely worth thinking about. And I, I really like every day, even from the moment I wake up, because I know that coffee is coming up, you, you really have me thinking about this a lot. And so I guess, you know, you refer to caffeine, it would probably apply to tea as well. Uh, kratom is also, many people don't realize this, but kratom is part of the coffee family. And if you look at the research on kratom, people have gotten liver replacements from kratom. It is very uh, hepatotoxic. It's, it's not great for the liver. So I wonder, you know, what the effects of coffee would be on the liver as well. And you know, I, I took so many notes as you were saying some of this stuff. Uh, alcohol kind of fits into this same category in a social regard, right? So coffee, very socially accepted. You can get it on any corner. Um, alcohol, the same way. I haven't looked very closely at the research, but I, I would imagine that that alcohol isn't lighting up your prefrontal cortex. It's probably not making you think critically in a very significant way. And I'll, I'll pause here. I, I do have one thing left to kind of add on to what you said, and then I'll pause. The other thing that I think is often forgotten when it comes to coffee are the extra variables. So the coffee, uh, the, the quality of the coffee itself, are there pesticides, are there molds and other contaminants? 
the coffee apparatus, whatever machine you're using. So people who use a Keurig machine, it's made of plastic. It's heating plastics into the coffee. That's not even mentioning the K-cup itself, which is plastic. It's going to melt more plastic into there. And then where does that coffee go? It goes very often into a paper cup lined with more plastic. And so even if the coffee itself wasn't harmful, everything around it seems to be. And, and I didn't even mention the quality of the water too. So I don't know. Did I miss anything there? I mean, that, there's yeah, a, it, a lot to think about. It would be a good baby step if people wanted to, because any chemical will really do to set off the fight or flight. So they definitely were behind the Keurig and the, and the K-pods or K-cups or everything to pollute the human because in mind control experiments, any chemical is going to do. And that's sort of what their general foundation is, is if some guy or girl sidestep, sidesteps one other chemical, we got them on so many other levels. Like if someone maybe sidesteps uh, the 2020 new medicine or the 2021 new medicine. And there, and I found a lot of people in the truth movement. Yeah, I'm really, you know, I didn't take my, my medicine and I'm fighting the system. And then I see them drinking and drinking coffee and cooking in a Teflon pan. And I want people to know that the people who rule us, they're okay with it. They're completely okay because you're not going to understand your full potential unless you get rid of all the chemicals or do the best you can to clean up because it's a percentile gain. So if someone is at 80% of their brain, using 80% of their brain structure, like 81 is better, right? 82, 83, 84. And you got to kind of clean up knowing that the big secret is this group knows that if we ever you know, regain the power of our own neurology, it's game over. And our own neurology are what makes us stand out above other animals here on the planet is our prefrontal cortex. You know, this is why the limbic system is back here, the back of the head called the reptilian brain or the R complex or the hind brain, the primitive brain, because it doesn't have the ability to think things out. And this is why they encourage the Tylenol, the alcohol, there's nitrates in the red wine. And there was a professor, a UK professor, he was interviewed on London Real with Brian Rose, and he was hired by the UK government to document a report and tell the U and report back to the UK government what's the most dangerous drug destroying the fabric of our society. And after years of research, he came back and says, it's alcohol and we have to do something. He said, thanks, you're fired. Because the, the, rule, the ability to rule, the structure of ruling the slave class is based on the United Kingdom, Britain, royal model. So, and this is, you said tea, you know, there's caffeine and tea. Well, it was the royals that had the tea time and they understand the use of the caffeine and the use of all psychoactive drugs, when they want to take over a country, whether it's now or whether it was in the past, they know the psychoactive substances are they're one of their primary weapons. And this is why the UK royals took over China 
in the late 1700s in the Opium Wars, and there wasn't any war. It was the UK royals moving the opium in and the Chinese trying to defend their culture from basically getting inundated with the psychoactive drugs that drop IQ and, and reduce the ability to think long term, and they lost. And, you know, Hong Kong wasn't given back to China. China's not even Chinese. It's its own today. And ruled, I mean, obviously, if anybody has one living brain cell to rub together, the, it's pretty obvious all countries are standing on one war foot, uh, one war footing against their own citizens. And that's not, that's not a chance happening either. It was the same group that have been putting on this horse and pony show the smoke and mirror show, all these borders are fake, all these country names are fake, all the leaders are fake. And to be honest with you, if everybody was uh, had full access to their brain function, it would have been obvious to the day, you know, by the time they were 12 years old, but they don't. And this is why we're in so much trouble today, because the natural human brain function is being inhibited by all these chemicals. They're one, their favorite, uh, drug is the caffeine and their second most favorite is the um, alcohol. So reading between the lines there with what you just said, I, I think the uh, the idea it's all controlled by the same people might be lost on some of the, the people in my audience, not all of them, but I would encourage people to look into the Kazarian Mafia, which uh, maybe you're familiar with. I don't know if that's a rabbit hole. I'm ready to go down uh today i well it looks like you have something to say yeah there's a good documentary for your people mm -hmm. that'll explain the depth and the age and the ancient foundations of the group that are putting on this magic show for the average human uh, it is called cult of the medics and it's made by david whitehead so you would go to cultofthemedics.com look for the pull down tab called chapters and there are nine chapters in the documentary thus far and you will see that this group and its use of psychoactive drugs to control the population amongst many other sort of what they would call black magic modalities, it reaches back thousands of years and it's the same lineage. That's why they call them bloodlines or that's why the red carpet exists. When you host a royal event and roll out the red carpet, which denotes the bloodline, the workers aren't even permitted to cross the carpet. They have to jump over it or walk around. I'll definitely have to look into that and I'll add it to the show notes. And with regard to the Kazarian Mafia, for those who are interested, I'll add that one into the show notes as well. Uh, and Jason, maybe you're familiar with the Fall of the Cabal series. Uh, that's a rabbit hole that could take a few hours, especially given that these types of documentaries are hours and hours and hours long. Um, but still, I, I did have a few more things with, uh, coffee. It's interesting because there are some people out there that are the total opposite of what you're saying. People who go as far as putting coffee in their ass with, uh, coffee enemas, which is, uh, something I find quite curious. And maybe I'll, I'll speak to someone in that realm. Um, but that aside, coffee is one of those buttons where once you push it, it's, it's very tough to stop pushing it. And this is something that any coffee drinker knows because when they stop drinking it, not only do they get the headaches for a few days, but I've even experienced for several weeks, I find it tough 
to think or be productive. And I actually see that as evidence towards what you're saying, kind of like with SSRIs. If you take exogenous serotonin for your depression and it actually makes you feel good because you're introducing foreign serotonin to feel good and then you stop taking it, what happens? Well, the the systems have become so downregulated because of the uh, unnatural introduction of these chemicals that you actually can't even produce the serotonin on your own for a significant period of time. And so I would imagine that that experience of feeling groggy and and cognitively fatigued for for weeks, maybe even months after you stop drinking coffee, that kind of seems like evidence that it's downregulating those systems that maybe the the adrenal function or the hormone function has taken a hit in some way where I don't know. I, I haven't looked into research on whether those systems recover or even if that's on a physiological level what's happening. But my question for you is, I'm assuming you've worked with some people who maybe were coffee drinkers and wanted to come off of it. Do you have any kind of approach for going through that painful process and finding a type of natural energy? Well... <laughs> There's different ways to to look at it. Sometimes it's it's good to know or tell the person, look, part of this group ruling you and dominating you is about making the slavery feel groovy. And when you lead sort of a one of the slave lives, it will be basically a little empty a little meaningless and a little directionless. And, but they can decorate that. They can decorate that with fake emotions, fake feelings. And that's what you get when you partake in coffee. You're going to get a fake feel good emotion from the way your body reacts to poison. You're going to sort of have a euphoria, a big blast of energy. One of your body's natural reactions to being poisoned is sort of put all hands on deck and get the energy into the system so that it can deal with the poison. Because if it didn't do that, the poison would dominate. All this big energy burst that you, that you get when you're caffeinated is simply to try and escort the toxic caffeine into your bladder or your bowel. And that's why most people, not most people, but some people would pee after their coffee quite a bit, or some people have explosive diarrhea. That's how, and they say they're regular, right? Yeah, I got to go for my regular poop, have my coffee. Oh, got to go to the bathroom. That's, that's a sign of how toxic it is. So sometimes it's just about telling the person the truth, although you can use various other modalities to help people get off coffee. But what they're really going to have to understand is the big draw of coffee is it makes boring lives feel exciting. But so does TV, right? TV yeah. makes a boring life feel exciting. Marijuana, alcohol, your phone. Like your life in the phone is no comparison to your life outside the phone. Your life outside the phone is very boring and very slow paced and not as exciting. There's no beautiful ladies, no beautiful men, no pictures of Italy, no pictures of Greece. and this group knows, they know that, I mean, one of their goals is to get you in a room with one of these Oculuses, VR goggles around your head, 
because they've they've proven that whether you see a picture of Greece or you're actually there, you have the same changes in brain function, the same satisfactory changes or euphoric changes in brain function. So they know that they can enslave you in a prison and keep you there to maximize your profit for them. And you won't rebel if they can push in all these fake neurological impulses through their chemicals or through their screens. So it, it would be really good for someone to understand, you know, you might want to think about just growing up and being strong and understanding that if what I'm saying is true, you will get off coffee and come face to face with your boring, mundane, and painful existence. It could be relationships that are old and rotting. Your job could be a lot less satisfying than you believe. And the great thing about that is in psychology, you need pain to mature. You need feelings of uneasiness to what's called individuate or to become your own person. And so what we learn through uncovering our pain through the removal of painkillers is that we actually get to feel if we have a nail in our foot. And you won't ignore it if you can feel it. You got to take a lot of Tylenol to ignore a, a nail in your foot. So if your life is sort of not as exciting as you would believe, and you take the coffee away, that that's going to hit you like, bang, like a, like a freight train. And it's going to knock you over. And I tell people, let it knock you over. Not only let it knock you over, ask it to reverse. Get the reverse lights going. Beep, beep, beep. Ask it to run you over and run you over again. And that's called listening to the pain teacher. Because the pain teacher is something that everybody in North America has been taught is a goblin when really it's a guardian it's the only way out of the pain the only way out of pain is to look pain and feel it directly look look pain right in the eye and when you take away all these fake feel-good chemicals and fake feel fraudulent impulses that come out of our movies and our tv shows you're the great thing is you're going to realize you're a slave and you're going to feel the weight of that, and it is going to crush you. And when it crushes you, then and only then will you ever find the motivation to change. If you run from the pain teacher, and every time the pain teacher knocks on the door, you slam the door and say, the goblin's here again. That goblin pain. And you get all this endorsement in our society of, of that message. You're depressed? Oh, you have some pain? Hey, did you know pain's a goblin? Did you know pain means something's wrong with you? Do you know pain's a defect? Come see me. I'll get rid of your pain. That's going to keep you running east looking for a sunset, and it's going to keep you rearranging the furniture on the deck of the Titanic. These are activities that don't matter. It will not get you anywhere. <laughs> You'll never get to where you want to go. So this is the message of our society. The message is, hey, everybody, 
This society is, is fun. This is your First Amendment right. You're born, you have fun. Everything's got to be fun. And if you're bored and you're facing sort of this pain in your life, have a cigarette, take a vape, have a coffee. You got a couple of days off, have some alcohol, have some junk food. Keep firing all the fake emotions in there so that you run away from your pain, never individuate, never mature, never grow up. And have you noticed any of the trends I'm talking about in our society where you have adults getting arm sleeves? You know, like a 50-year-old, I just got an arm sleeve. I'm like, how old are you? Right? And they got the flat brim hats to the side. They got some chains on. I mean, my I'm 53. And I, I remember my friends coming in. They got the chains, the hats. They're smoking weed. They're driving a like a Lincoln Navigator with some big rims and a wide muffler. They're telling me they're hitting some honeys tonight. And I'm like, how old are you guys? And, and this is what the mind, this is my real expertise, is the mind control that makes all this stuff I'm talking about work. Because humans mimic, copy, and emulate everything they see. I mean, that's your defense mechanism. Where am I? What tribe am I in? If I act like the tribe, I'm safer. Pretty simple defense mechanism. And it's known in all psychology. Humans mimic, copy, and emulate and mirror the most repetitive content in their environment. But guess who else knows that? The UK royals. And so, and they also know the slave manual. Hey, it's a lot easier to rule children. Not a very complex clause in the slave manual. Easier to rule children. And if they are of adult age, make them think, act, and talk like children. And then it's like taking candy from a baby, literally taking their taxes from disempowered, infantilized people. So this is why all the Will Ferrell movies are there. Adam Sandler, King of Queens, Family Guy, The Simpsons. Over and over again, everybody's laughing. Seinfeld, like, look at Seinfeld. Who's got a job? Who's got a serious job? Everybody's giggling, acting like they're 18 years old pushing each other in the bushes, ha, ha, ha. And when you are a human who doesn't understand that the TV screen and the movie screen are documented military weapons only invented, not, side, not invented for side purpose, only invented to control the repetitive content, to hack what's called the subconscious mind pathway, this part of the brain that mimics the repetitive content, and it's all about let's have fun, big laughs. They pump in the fake laughter. Why do you think they're pumping in the fake laughter? Because that's our religion to the sitcoms. Ha, 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 ha. Everything's got to be this great time because the ruling group depends on you avoiding pain for your whole life so you never mature, you never individuate. In psychology, you need pain to mature. And then you're easier to rule. Not only would the adults be acting and talking and thinking like children, they're all, they're all neurologically impaired through their, like, why do you think marijuana just got legalized coast to coast five years ago in Canada? And the average slave is like, oh yeah, we won. We showed them, we, you know, we strong armed them. We forced them to like, do you know who you're dealing with? You're dealing with 
a group that used to legalize the blue li Nile lily in ancient Egypt because it's a hallucinogen, <laughs> because it screws up the slave class. You're dealing with ancient Egyptian pharaohs who invented beer to make sure that you kept being a slave and that the beer would sedate you in between. Uh, and that's why they call them rock and roll concerts or rock stars, because rock and roll is about quarrying, like cutting the stone off and using the logs to roll them. That's what rock and roll is. And people are like, rock and roll, Rolling Stone magazine, old time rock and roll. Even, uh, um, what's that guy with the tattoos on his face? I can't even, Post Malone. He has a song, Rockstar. And everybody's like singing along, drinking their coffee, watching their, t their screen. And they don't understand the massive parameters. They could, they could never even envision that everything they're doing has been scripted before they were born to trap them in what you, like we all call the matrix. Hey, just give me one minute here. Sorry to interrupt, but I just need to ask for your help really quick. Uh, if you enjoy the show, I'm just asking you straight up to please give this show five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you listen to it either of those places. Or if you're watching this on YouTube or Rumble, please make sure to give this video a thumbs up. Make sure you're subscribed and uh, make sure you please tell your friends if you think that somebody would like my content or maybe somebody even needs to hear some of this stuff, right? Maybe they're not really awake or maybe they're waking up and they could use some of this information. Uh, so yeah, that's it. Just please help support the show because with some of the stuff that I say on this platform, algorithms don't exactly love me because I'm challenging their authority constantly. So your help would be appreciated. But without further ado, here we go back to the show. I think I have a, a lot that I wrote down to I respond to some of that. Uh, that was awesome, really. And I think uh, with regard to some of your earlier comments and that, I think some people might be off put by uh, your reference to their dull and boring and mundane lives. But I, I think at least what I heard is really objectively speaking in comparison to the phone and the internet where things are infinitely more interesting. I mean, you can go, I mean, this is why we're addicted to our phones, right? It's just objectively more, unless you are somebody who, you know, is, is ultra wealthy and, and has at their disposal the ability to do whatever they want, whenever they want and fly in your private jet, I guess then your life is maybe not so dull and boring, but for the general person, Anything that we have in our phones is more interesting than than our real lives where we go to work and we come home and we're in the kitchen and, and just the routine of it all. Um, so I did want to point that out. And I'm glad we're kind of shifting here into the actual mind control aspect of things. I know you mentioned how in ancient Egypt, they would allow for certain chemicals to be put out there in society to have a certain effect on the population. And uh, this is something I've talked about as well, not with Egypt, but in like the Roman Colosseums, uh, very similar to how we do now. They even in the Colosseums, they would distribute opium and alcohol and things that were actually a decision from up top saying we want these people to behave in a suppressed way. So we're going to keep them entertained and we're going to keep them intoxicated. And we see that exactly happening today. Um, so I don't think you know, to anyone who might be off put by that sort of thing, you know, historically this has been true. And if you do have a scrutinizing eye and you look around in society, you see the same things. And 
You also mentioned the word individuate, which really caught my attention because that is uh, an aspect of psychology that there does seem to be efforts to manipulate the line between individuation and de-individuation. Uh, this is another thing. I, I made an episode on, uh, Yeah, I guess some people might be offended by this, but the sheep mind is really, at least part of it, is de-individuation, is where you kind of separate people from their sense of identity. And you look in society, you see lots of different efforts in that regard. Substances aside, when you look at the the media that we're consuming, like you said, like Family Guy and, and these sitcoms, it really does call into question the idea of, you know, is this a type of predictive programming or, or normalization about what we expect society to be like? And I would imagine somebody pushing back would say, well, no, these are TV shows. People, you know, nobody's forcing individuals to write these TV shows. And that's fine. You know, these are individuals that probably on their own come up with these TV shows. But Hollywood and the media that's in front of us, this is a centralized system. So, I mean, only certain things get through. And, and it does make me wonder with some of the patterns that you see in the movie uh, or, or in TV, and I guess the movies too, there is a certain archetype that is consistently put out in front of us when we think of the family unit. Uh, family unit. And I think The Simpsons is a perfect example of that because ever since The Simpsons, you see tons of TV shows that are basically the same model with a slightly different twist, you know, different concepts in their episodes, but it's really about the dumb American family just normalizing that. Every TV show with the laugh track, laughing at, at stupid ass things, it, it's worthy of attention, right? Because these things affect our mind and we're inviting these messages into our lives and they shape our perceptions. So I don't know, man. It's a lot to think of. It, I, I don't have a follow-up on this, but are you familiar with the Tavistock Institute? Yes. They're sort of the main area that coordinates their studies and accumulates the psychological studies from around the world to best firm all the humans and make sure their energy is extracted on cue uh, to, the, to the quantity that uh, you know, the ruling group needs that energy. So yeah, the Tavistock is where they all, everything I'm talking about is originally library. And in regards to like, say, Homer Simpson or the Simpsons, the family guy, Peter Griffin, one of the human farming manuals chapters is dealing with strong men. It's a separate chapter. You can't win. This group have lost many battles over thousands of years. And when they get together, and they eventually, you know, they didn't have cell phones thousands of years ago. When the message would get back, we've lost so-and-so battle, and they would analyze how they lost, it was always strong men. And if you want to get rid and make, you know, make sure to dominate a society, you have to address the strong, physical strong, and morally strong male, which is usually, uh, you know, based on their ethnic background, even their religious background. And what you see with the Simpsons and the family guy, given that the subconscious defense mechanism in all humans is to copy, mimic, and emulate and mirror the most repetitive content in the environment. Again, the subconscious mind loves you. This isn't a defect. 
It loves to assess what tribe you're in and it wants you to mimic the tribe because basic human psychology is simple. Most people do what they're doing because other people are doing it. And if you act, talk and think like someone else in a tribe, you're more apt to be brought into the tribal circle and accepted. So when you have, say, Homer Simpson, if you notice, Homer has a belly. So does Bart. But daughter Maggie and Marge, they do not. Maggie is a grade A student. Bart is portrayed as a buffoon. Homer is portrayed as a buffoon. And that's repetition every week. But then other repetition starts folding in on that, like the King of Queens or the Family Guy, where Peter Griffin, he's also overweight. The son is overweight in the Family Guy. Brian is the male dog. He's an alcoholic. Hmm, interesting. Stewie is a psychopath and always trying to kill his own mother. And then, of course, the female genre female characters in these shows they're empowered they're intelligent they're logical they're rational and this is the ruling group's way of using hollywood to dismantle the male in invisible ways and you 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 made a comment earlier mike as you said you know they can't force you to have the caffeine they can't force you to watch netflix they can't force you to watch alcohol well, that's, that's definitely in the manual, is that humans, if you come head on, if you come directly at an enemy, show yourself, I have a gun, I'm coming to your house, you're going to watch Netflix, you're going to go down to the clinic and get your new medicine. Well, then the human really has an idea of who's attacking, don't they? And humans in the, in the manual of human farming, it doesn't go well when you come directly at your at your enemy, your your target population. But if you use psychological manipulation to trick the people to drink alcohol, to buy their own 60-inch TV and upgrade to an 80-inch and then get Netflix and then get Google Prime or whatever it is, to get all the channels, the whole they don't have the power to do any of this by force. And that's why the thing is they have to make you agree. You have to acquiesce. Because if they don't get you to participate or volunteer for your own enslavement, your own poisoning, the poisoning of your own children, if they don't trick you to get on board with that, they can't get where they're going because they don't have the power to do it by force. You have to Watch your screens, watch your billboards, listen to your radios, read your magazine, and then go to your government slave indoctrination camp. And you have to get flooded with the repetitive content over decades to the point where they launch something at you in 2020, and you put your hand up like a very eager kid in school and say, I know, I know the answer. I watched Contagion with uh, Matt Damon and Lawrence Fishburne. I know the answer. Masking. Shut the airports down. Uh, yeah, we know. Yeah, get the, get the medicine. Everybody take their medicine. Everybody's got to take it for it to work. And they think they are inventing that particular reaction. And I'll give you an example of how powerful these modalities of mind control are. There's a movie in 2001 called Gone in 60 Seconds. 
It was a movie about car theft. It was Angelina Jolie and Nicolas Cage. Nicolas Cage was a retired car thief. His brother was in trouble with a local thug. The local thug came into the garage where he's working and said, your brother owes me money. You're coming out of retirement tonight. going to steal me a hundred cars or we're going to have a problem. Nicholas Cage says, I put that behind me, but my brother's life is in risk. So I'm coming out. A hundred cars had to be stolen in 24 hours. A lot of repetition, car theft. This part of the brain that is hot wired by the people who rule us does not know the difference between real time, imagined thought and what's on the screen. So if you're a person in the movie theater, watching the screen, your subconscious says, hey, I know the answer. Well, it looks like we're in a brand new tribe. It looks like it's a car theft tribe. And if we mimic and copy and emulate the car theft tribe, we're going to be safer. Everything our body does is in relation to gaining greater safety or security or lifespan. And when this movie came out in 2001 in Burnaby, BC, Dr. Jerry Croft at Santa Clara University got a call saying, because he knows about this human's natural inclination to mimic and copy repetitive content. In Burnaby, BC, car theft went up 70% in the first four days because people were mimicking and copying. Now, if you were to interview the average person who knows nothing about this, nothing about the Tavistock Institute, nothing about and why they're feeding you caffeine before you go in to the movie or junk food or chemicals. They know nothing about how they're ruled. If you were to interview them when they went in the theater and say, hey, you know what? Do you think a movie about car theft could make some people steal cars? They'd say, absolutely not. You're crazy. You're tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist. But the people who rule us have a saying, what's on the screen at noon will definitely be on the street at night. And all we have to do to make the slaves do and think and, and participate in the way we want is we control the repetitive content and the wider the range where I can put a message on the radio that's similar to what's in the movie and I can have a government announcement and it's sort of the subconscious will tie all those repetitions together and we're going to naturally act it out. And the average person um, doesn't understand anything about this. And, you know, if someone's offended by, you know, calling their life uh, a slave life or something like this, I just suggest to people, reality is a lot better than fiction. And if I'm wrong, just stop your coffee and deal with your regular life. And you make the judgment if your life is illusionary or you're enjoying it without coffee. If your life is really as great as you think it is, why can't you enjoy it without wine and caffeine and alcohol? Let me answer that for me then. If it's that enjoyable where you got to get high all the time. Yeah, you bring up some good points. And I wish I could say more on the Tavistock Institute because it's it's so conspiratorial. There's there's a good book on it, but uh the idea is that they've influenced a lot of the media. They they perpetrated basically the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones and Kiss and all these different things that we, you know, enjoy in society, many of us, without really thinking about where the efforts might be coming from to put them in front of us. And and with some of the things you said about TV too, you know, I don't know if you remember the show House, Dr. House. Yeah. Even 
like the heroes, even the good guys, a doctor saving people's lives, they always add something. They had a brand name Vicodin. And around the same time, like that's a patented drug that they can make a lot of money off of. I would imagine that at the time of that TV show that a lot of people also flocked to Vicodin just because, hey, it's on TV and it, it leaves an imprint on their mind. And here's a perfect example of exactly that type of uh, monkey see, monkey do type of behavior is the military propaganda that we see in this country with the military movies, the military TV shows, and of course, the military games where you're really putting yourself inside there. And I wonder what the enlistment rate would be if we did not have those games, meaning that it has to have an impact. You know, people seeing these things and being immersed in this type of environment in a glorified way, it has to lead to people enlisting into the military. And that is a type of mind control, which again, I know that term can be off-putting to some people, but it is a type of control of the way that you think, which is part of your mind. So, I mean, by definition, it, it is a type of mind control. And to illustrate this even further, there's this concept in psychology called the Tetris effect, where if you play Tetris for an hour or two, it leaves an imprint in your brain in a way that the effects of Tetris kind of carry through into life outside of Tetris. Meaning, if you're playing Tetris and you know, you're using your mind to guide these little pieces into their proper place, and then you stop playing and you go to the grocery store, there's an element of that perception still rolling around in your head, where let's say you're in the cereal aisle and it's almost like you're playing Tetris in your mind with the cereal and you're trying to like line up the boxes like you would in Tetris. So, you know, just looking at Tetris, that doesn't mean much, but the implications of that effect are huge because that means the things that we engage in are leaving an imprint on the mind in a way that carries through with us beyond the activity that we're doing. So that means when we're watching TV or playing games or watching a movie or hanging out with people who you know are quote unquote toxic, those things develop because of our neuroplasticity. They ingrain into the mind, which is why I think it's so important to be cautious about the things that we consume. And I don't mean food, I mean the information and the media. We should be very cautious. So turning this into like a more proactive sort of thing, what are some of the things that people can do to brainwash themselves or to use mind control on themselves the same way that people might use these tactics against us? Well, mind control, 85% of it is repetition based. I mean, this is why so many people drink coffee. It's the most repetitive content in all of Hollywood film, hands down. Within the first 15 minutes, just pay attention for the first 15 minutes of every film before you slip back into a comfort coma. Keep your eyes open for a coffee mug, a coffee, uh, coffee cup, a coffee shop, or a coffee machine on the back counter, and you will never be unsatisfied with your finding. And so 85, this is why people are drinking coffee. I mean, even in the movie uh, Fight Club with Edward Norton and Brad Pitt, there was a Starbucks coffee cup in every single scene of Fight Club. And you can look that up on YouTube. So one thing is with the Vicodin, the house doctor uh, mentioning Vicodin, what about a Starbucks coffee cup? 
in every single scene of Fight Club. What you want to do is expose yourself to the content that you want in your life only. That's it. So if you want wealth, only wealth content. If you want health, only health content until that goal is basically accomplished. If you want a better marriage, you want to listen to podcasts only. I mean, radio will, I mean, no one's going to teach you how to have a better life on the radio. It's just chuckles the clown every single morning on your ride in. Everything's funny. Come down to the barbecue, they're raising money for cancer, have a cancer-causing hot dog and a cancer-causing pop and leave your $5 in the, in the tip jar. You can't listen to the radio or watch TV and expect your life to be anything but like a death spiral into the toilet. You really can't because that's what it's designed to do. So you have two choices as a human. You can expose yourself to the repetitive content of some very old and ancient social engineers that are thousands of years old, or you can control your own content and move up, or they'll control it and you'll move down. The, these are your only two options. There is no door number three. There isn't, there isn't a white magic aspect of mind control, and there's not a black magic aspect. It just depends who the sorcerer is that is operating the magic. And the people currently operating your TV and movie magic, your magazines, your billboards, your radio, they maintain their power by destroying yours. That's the only way they give power, is they destroy your power to care for yourself, to be independent, to be a fully functional adult, they destroy that through the repetitive content. So all you would want to do is narrow down where, what you want to get done in life and start upregulating the positive content in that direction while downregulating the negative content, which would be absolutely anything mainstream because they would all be colluding to work together to make sure you get repetitive content where you think up is down, black is white, and East is West. So just as a quick aside, you see me turning off my mic. Uh, it's been, an, I told you, a Murphy's Law day. First, it was the connection. Now I have these construction machines uh, outside making all kinds of noise. It's always something. Um, but basically what I heard here was that the repetition put in our environment, the repetition that is there as the low-hanging fruit is taking advantage of the mechanisms that we already have in our body because the way that our brain works, it responds to our environment, it notices patterns, repetitive patterns. And so when these ideas, when these cultural phenomenons are dangled in front of us like the low-hanging fruit that they are, it's basically that they're put in front of us by the, the so-called people in control, the people in power, to take advantage of those intrinsic mechanisms to shape our minds in a way that doesn't benefit us, but instead benefits them. And you even use the word magic, which I love because when you think about it, propaganda is kind of like magic because you're using words, almost like you're casting a spell to create an effect on a large group of people with a coordinated campaign to produce a response that wasn't there before. And what makes it even more like magic is just like a magic trick. When Once you see how the trick is done, it doesn't exactly have the same impact that it did before. And propaganda is very much the same way, at least in terms of manipulative propaganda. Because 
the other part of what you said, which is very interesting, is that at least this was my interpretation of it, is that we can basically use those mechanisms of like repetition to similarly influence ourselves. So if we want to focus on making money, we can kind of propagandize ourselves by immersing ourselves in the world of things that might influence us towards making money. So we listen to music that uh, might influence us in that way, watch shows like even though it might be propaganda, something like the Wolf of Wall Street to strategically implement a type of mentality um, while, of course, being mindful of other messages that might be in there. And I think one sort of thing that might work for most people, even everybody that kind of taps into this idea of repetitiveness is just standard operating procedures. So in a sense, propaganda is orchestrated in a way that is a type of standard operating procedure. It's implemented in a very specific way. But even further, a lot of the companies that we go to, that we buy from, whether we're talking about Starbucks or really even neurosurgeons, even restaurants, all these places, they use standard operating procedures basically to instill a type of mentality that you almost don't need to think. You say like, this is what I want my thought environment to be like. Let me create a, a standard operating procedure around it. And then you almost don't even have to worry about the manipulative propaganda out there because you, you have your own standard operating procedure to fall back on. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. I would just watch movies like The Wolf of Wall Street because that is an anti-wealth movie. It is one of many, many thousands of Hollywood repetition that money is dirty to make it. You got to be a bad man who lies and then you lose it all in the end anyway. So why would you ever work hard? It doesn't matter if it's the equalizer uh, with Denzel Washington, where the antagonist is a mob boss called Slavy, who has a gold wing door Mercedes and poor equalizer Denzel Washington you know, shovels dirt down at the hardware store and Denzel Washington only has one pair of Nikes that he cleans with a toothbrush at night where poverty and basically working a humdrum, a humdrum job is calibrated up to the higher moral ground. And with everything, if you watch a film or a TV show and wealth is advertised as dirty or bad or the root of all evil, you're getting programmed. Like in the movie, The Titanic, the most popular movie ever watched in the world, I think next to Avatar, which had this equal themes, you know, poor Jack Dawson, he didn't have to buy his ticket with dirty evil money. He won it as fate in a card game prior to the, the ship setting sail. And then Rose has to marry the rich guy who of course is an asshole. All the rich guys are assholes. All the poor guys are heroes. Money is bad. Money is dirty. Get rid of it as fast as you can. And even in the Titanic, Rose is up in the stuffy first-class cabin. She's having a terrible time. She goes down to the third-class cabin to meet Jack Dawson. She opens the door. They got the accordion, the spoons. Everybody's drinking, of course. Everybody's having fun. They're dancing around. She's never had so much fun in her life. So understand how wealth works in the movies. Being poor is noble and of the high moral ground. And if you have money, you're a shallow, evil, dirty 
and bad rotting person. Yeah, that's a good point. And uh, I don't know if I even remember. I, I saw Wolf of Wall Street once and I kind of just picked it because that seemed like a, a stereotypical answer to fit into the trying to instill a money mindset. And I guess there are better alternatives. You could look at people who are actually making money. Anthony like, Robbins would be your best go-to there. That's a good one. Robert Kiyosaki, Dan Pena, all all these people, you know, they have criticisms behind them for sure. But uh, yeah, there are some probably better sources than the Wolf of Wall Street. But it seems like a, a big takeaway here from this discussion is to be intentional about the way we set up our environment so that we're not manipulated by others, but instead we can set our environment up in a way that best suits us to not do the easy things, sometimes go into the pain, whether that's quitting coffee or uh, trying to build success in some other way. Um, I, I do have a question for you because there's this idea of the great awakening. Some people call it that. Other people uh, call it other things as well. I've called it the death of the propaganda machine because people are starting to see these mechanisms that pull our strings and push our buttons do you think that there is a type of awakening happening right now? Yeah, I think there, I think there is. I think it has to do a lot with health. So when people get healthy and they've been trying to get more healthy over the past 20 or 30 years, it involves reducing pain-killing substances. And this is why health is the number one enemy of the state. That's why they're calling people who are obsessed with health as having a mental disorder now in the... Uh, in the sort of manuals, what's it called, the DMS-5 or something? DSM, yeah. <laughs> or if it's not a mental disorder, it's far right. Yeah, it's far right just try, trying to be healthy. So they're trying to demonize it because when you back out of these pain-killing addictions, you, you have to face your pain. And a lot of people are just you know putting their money down on the poker table of life and deciding to go that route. And when you are free of sedative substances and substances and chemicals that tranquilize your nervous system and you're not getting the fake feel-good emotions anymore, you get to look at your leaders and see who they are, either your taxation rate and understand what's happening and your quality of life. If you're not going to decorate an empty life with these chemicals, all you have is the empty life. And then you're like Sherlock Holmes, you're hot on the case of why am I so empty when they told me I should be happy with all these trappings of life? And it all comes back to this ruling group tricking you to believe you have a good life when really you don't. And there are ways to recapture that good life, which involves removing the parasitical force that is drawing off all our energy toward them and their evil goals. And that's where the, there is a great awakening. And it has to do with less consumption of alcohol less consumption of caffeine, less consumption of junk food, less medications. Even in Japan, the government, which is not the government, it's the same group running Japan and the same group running Canada. And they came out with a government-funded campaign. They got to get the teenagers to drink more. So if you look up Japan drinking problem, it's not that they're drinking to excess. They're stopping drinking, which puts the entire fabrication of government in jeopardy. You, there, without these substances, there can be no government. Hmm. The word government actually means mind control. Govern means to control. 
Ment or mentis is Latin for mind. The word government actually means literally mind control. And if you don't have a sedated population, you cannot put them under mind control. This conversation has been so interesting, especially because my audience is a little all over the place. I have some people who definitely are on the fully awake side of things. And, you know, my business being Red Pill Health and Wellness, my mission is to really wake people up. So I'm not only talking to the people who are already awake. I'm really trying to be careful in my approach to actually wake people up and to see these sorts of things. And so I'm really curious how the, the listeners will respond to this because I think a lot of people will really get it and really resonate with this, with what you've been saying. And I do think there are some people who a lot of what we've discussed today will be totally foreign, which is fine. You know, there, there's a, a time and place for people to wake up. Um, but is there anything today that we did not discuss yet that you wanted to before we wrap up? Two things. Um, if anybody wants more information like this, they can email me at jason at freedomfromselfsabotage.com. I got a, something called the Christoph Report. I put up four times per week. And if you think this information is interesting, wait to, wait till you read my emails. And number two, I will send you my a made-for-TV made. It's like a it's like a not like a documentary, but a Netflix special with this mind control expert Darren Brown. And I want your yeah. people to link it and click it and see how powerful group pressure is to make humans do things that anybody here would never think they would do or they would never think anybody else would do so there's say 70 actors in this prefabricated scenario darren brown is the person who runs and for people who don't know darren brown he's one of the top mind manipulation experts on the entire planet and his shows get bigger and more complex and bigger and more complex the more they pay him at netflix 70 actors and four participants who know nothing about what's going on. They don't know it's a prefabricated scenario. They don't know that everybody's an actor. And it's about a three-hour buildup, and it's filmed with secret cameras the entire time. And it is nerve-wracking, because the name of this documentary or special is called The Push. And it's all about mounting group pressure over three hours with these people. And again, 70 actors, only one person has no idea what's going on whatsoever. And it accelerates to a scene on the roof after three hours. And the group pressure is immense. And there's an old man. And there's a reason for the old man who's on the top of this 15-story building. He's got his feet over the edge. There's reasons for all of this. But the group has built up this fabricated scenario where sort of the only option here to solve the problem is to go push that old man off the side of the building 15 stories and kill him, okay? And it's not an old man. It's a stunt man, and he's fully harnessed, okay? And if, if they did push him over, they had this explained before, he falls under the precipice into the darkness where there's a whole bunch of mattresses against the brick wall. But the old the stuntman's like, you know, regardless, this is going to be a pretty hard whack onto the brick wall. If someone pushes, let's hope they don't push us. That's why it's called the push. There is three, there is, they got four research subjects. 
three out of the four killed the old man and pushed him off the side of the building. They ran it. Uh, they ran it four different days. Only one didn't kill the old man because of the group pressure. And it's all the mind control tactics I'm talking about. All the mind control tactics, front and center. People don't understand. They can be tricked into watching TV, sending their kids to get brainwashed, standing in line to get a medicine that no one in their right mind would ever get. Watch the push, and you will understand how you were tricked into all this and a lot more. Definitely. And, and Darren Brown is such an interesting guy. That's where I first heard about uh, NLP, Neuro Linguistic Programming, which definitely, uh, at the very least, has an impact. Uh, so something worth paying attention to. And to kind of take what you said even further, um, there's hard evidence to show that we can be manipulated to do horrendous things. And you look at, at the Milgram experiments, where all you have to do is put on a white coat and present yourself as an authority, and you can get people to electrocute others. This is the famous Milgram experiments um, where that's exactly what happened. They had unsuspecting participants in a room saying, hey, you just have to push this button. It'll give them a, a light electro shock if they get the question wrong. And every time they get one wrong, it goes up in intensity to where you get to a point where like halfway through the experiment, the, they're getting fake shocked, but the participant doesn't know that. Uh, halfway through the study, the the person playing the person who's being shocked, they're screaming, ah, please stop shocking me. And the experimenter, the guy in the white lab coat just goes, no, 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 I'm responsible for that person. You keep shocking them. 80% of the people are perfectly willing to outsource their thinking to that authority figure and shock the person even as they're screaming in agony. And this isn't just an isolated incident. This is something you see in the Stanford prison experiments as well. When you put people in these uniforms and they behave in accordance with the uniform. So if they're dressed like a prisoner, they act like a prisoner. If they dress like a prison guard, they act like a prison guard. So everything from the neuro-linguistic programming, the language that we use to uh, the social cues, the clothes that we wear, uh, I can go, I mean, I could list 10 more studies like this. We can be mind controlled. And on that note, I highly, highly recommend anybody listening to this to please subscribe to Jason's newsletter. Because like I said in the beginning, it is one of the best that I read. He offers a lot of valuable stuff. It's all very interesting, especially, I, I mean, if you've made it this far in the show and you like this sort of stuff, uh, that's exactly what he talks about. So Jason, I really appreciate you talking with me today. This was a fascinating discussion. I think people are going to love it. And uh, I have to figure out a way to wean myself off of this coffee. So thanks again.